Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoy today's message. Let's look at Mark 16 here. I want to read a passage to start off with and, um, and look at uh, empty life or empty tomb today. I'm going to look at two options that we have. I want to start off by looking at the actual day when Jesus rose from the grave, Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. It was an angel. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Say that with me. He is not here. He still isn't there today. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Now, this is a phenomenal moment for the disciples. We can't underestimate how they would feel because they had just three days earlier witnessed their their leader, their, their, for three and a half years, they had spent time with him every day and they had learned with him and they'd seen him do miracles and they'd watched uh, the amazing things that came from his life. And they, they honestly thought he was going to be um, the king that would come to defeat the Romans. I think they really believed that. And so all of a sudden he's tried in a mock trial, in a, in a sham of a trial, and he's, he's killed on a cross, he's put in a tomb, and they believe it's over, it's done. Can you imagine the despair they felt? Can you imagine the sense of what happened? We, we, we had hope for better things. We, we thought this was a, a moment that would change history for us and Israel and, and the Jews, and here it is, it's over. And now they come upon the, the women first, and then, of course, the disciples later. They see the, the empty tomb, and, and they're told he's alive. He's alive! They can't believe it. It's amazing. And then over the next 40 days, he appears to them, and talks with them and confirms that he's alive before he ascends back into heaven. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And that's what we're celebrating today. Now, what I want to do today is this, when it comes to this event. I have a statement for you that I've put together to maybe help us. Here's the statement. This is what I want to explain. What seems fulfilling is actually empty. And what remains empty is actually fulfilling. I want to show you how that's a true statement today. Hopefully you can maybe remember that. What seems fulfilling in life is actually empty. And what remains empty is actually the key to our fulfillment. We're going to look at that today and and consider, uh, first of all, the writings of probably one of the wisest men in the Bible. And uh, his name is King Solomon, probably one of the wisest men in history. In fact, many of his proverbs that we would quote today and just think it's modern culture, they come from him because he was... He was endowed with incredible wisdom. And he, 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 if you look at the book of Proverbs in the Bible and then the book of Ecclesiastes is another ancient book where he shares some of his thoughts with us. Now, I want to give you a background on Solomon. Even though he was like the wisest person probably that ever lived, he was the wisest king, he was endowed with great wisdom and wealth and he had everything. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't imagine power, wealth, 900 wives, unbelievable. Hard to fathom that, right? I mean, it's hard enough with one wife, but 900. Anyway, no, I mean that in a good way. 
I am blessed. Anyway, <clears throat> but my point is he had everything, right? He had everything. And yet, when you read what he's, what he, the words we're going to look at here, you'll realize that even though he had everything, he had nothing. He felt the emptiest that, that he ever could. And so he's the best one to listen to when it comes to this because he tried everything, he had everything, and yet he was empty. He was empty. And that, it should be a good warning for all of us. So let's look at first what seems fulfilling is actually empty. Ecclesiastes 6. Now just look at this with me. Here's, here's the great Solomon as he, through the book of Ecclesiastes, as he shares his thoughts about life. He says, there's another serious tragedy I have seen under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want. He's speaking of himself, actually, because he had wealth, honor, everything he could ever want. But then he doesn't give them the chance to enjoy these things. They die, and someone else, even a stranger, ends up enjoying their wealth. This is meaningless, a sickening tragedy. So he's thinking, and you've seen it, people work hard their whole life, they raise you know, billions of dollars, they have all this, they pass away, it goes to their heirs. And some heirs are better than others, right? Watch some heirs deal with, with their inheritance and they're pretty poor. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, this is terrible, it's a sickening tragedy. He might even be thinking of his own life, that he's wealthy, that he has amassed all this and he's going to die and someone else, one of his, chil- his children, are going to be using what he has. Maybe he's thinking of that. Now, the illustration I always like to say is you can't take it with you, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been to a number of funerals, and I've never seen a U-Haul behind the hearse, right? There's the hearse. There's the U-Haul, all his stuff. Oh, look, there's his quad. There's his motorcycle. That's nice. Oh, he's going to have a good time. Like, seriously, that doesn't happen. You can't take it with you. You know, Job, uh, another ancient writer says, naked I came into this world, and naked I depart. Come in with nothing, I leave with nothing. We need to understand that. Nothing physical goes with us. Now, there's other things that go with us, spiritual, things that we do in this life that honor God go with us. But the natural stuff doesn't go with us. Now, I've also put together some thoughts about wealth from some of the great minds of our time, just some of the great minds of our time. For example, while money can't buy happiness, it certainly lets you choose your own form of misery. That's Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx, He's a real intellect. Okay, how about this? Weird Al Yankovic. Anybody like him? He says, if money can't buy happiness, then I guess I'll have to rent it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I guess that's kind of what we are doing really in the world. And then there's Will Rogers. Now, he was a comedian, actor in the first part of the 20th century. He said, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. It's so true. Now, the next one I really like as well has nothing to do with the topic, but if we can forward to the next one. There it is. When I die, I want to die like my grandfather, who died peacefully in his sleep, not not screaming like all the passengers in his car. Sorry, I just... (laughs) Has nothing to do with Easter. Sorry, but I always found that a funny quote. And I didn't realize it was Will Rogers until I was researching this. Oh, that's where that comes from. Okay. You're learning a lot today, aren't you? Don't you feel the enlightenment? Yeah, I'm learning so much, Pastor. Anyway, here's some serious quotes. Richard DeVos, co-founder of Amway, a wealthy man, a godly man. Money cannot buy peace of mind. It cannot heal ruptured relationships or build meaning into a life that has none, right? I mean, he's a wealthy man. He's one of the wealthiest men in America, but he says, look, my money, it can only go so far. Benjamin Franklin said, money has never made me man happy, nor will it. There's nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more of it one has, the more one wants. So true. 
And then Blake Griffin, NBA player now with the Detroit Pistons. I was impressed with Blake Griffin. I know he can play and he can, he can dunk. He's a great player, but I didn't know he was like a philosopher. He says some people are so poor, all they have is their money. Like seriously, NBA fans, can you believe this is Blake Griffin here? Yeah, amazing. Anyway, he's so true though. He says some people are so poor, all they have is their money. He's right. If all you have is money and not relationships, you're miserable. I want to give you an example. Sad story of a lady named Casey Johnson. And uh, Casey Johnson is the daughter of a socialite mother, or was a daughter of a socialite mother, Sally Johnson and Woody Johnson, owner of the New York Jets. Great grandson of Johnson and Johnson founder, right? Seen Johnson and Johnson, so big family, many years, and they've got all those products and all that, and so lots of money. She grew up surrounded by wealth and opulence. She went to the best private schools. She was childhood friends with Nikki and Paris Hilton, who were also uh, old money people, right? They grew up in the Hilton family, the Hilton hotels, lots of money. That she drove expensive cars. She got her first Chanel handbag at age 10. Can you imagine? So lots of, lots of cash, all the best, yet underneath all the wealth, she was a sad child. Her mother largely ignored her. She started using hard drugs by the time she was barely in her teens. And it's a tragic case. She died alone in a messy bungalow at age 30. Think about it. Had everything handed to her. Had all that she could have. She was a partier. She was addicted to cocaine and alcohol. During her final days, she was addicted to a reality show person who was just concerned with her money. She adopted a child, but then she started neglecting the child because she was out partying. And so her mother actually stepped in and took custody of the child, but then cut her off financially, and she had nothing. Lived in this little bungalow. And uh, finally, December 29th, 2009, she sent a final tweet and said, sweet dreams, everybody. And four days later, they found her body. She died of complications of diabetes she had her whole life. Now, sad. I mean, I'm sad to... When I was researching this and finding these stories, I just thought, this is a sad story. But it is a, it is a story. And, and, and listen to me. Let me just say this. People who depend on wealth, people who, who make it their main focus, not everybody ends like that. Not, not everybody has a life like that. I mean, just hear me. But, but you can see the extreme in that young woman's life. She had so much, and yet she had so little. She was so empty. Right? She, she was seeking to fill herself her whole life with addictions, and, and she, couldn't, she couldn't do it. Another man, sad story, is Bob Marley. Might be some Bob Marley fans here who enjoy Bar Bar Marley's music. Jamaican singer-songwriter. I knew that Richie would say yes. I just knew it. He, he was a Jamaican singer-songwriter. He, he made reggae really popular. He, he's known today. You still see images and, and uh, T-shirts with his picture and uh, he, he got melanoma in 1977, and he died, uh, you know, about four years later at, at age 36 in Miami. And, and he, he was very popular. He was at the height of his career, but he died of melanoma, 36. Here's a famous quote from him. He said, money can't buy life. Now, can you understand why Bob Marley would say that? Because he had a lot of money, because he was popular, and he was, he was at the zenith of his career, but his money couldn't save him from his sickness. He couldn't, he couldn't get rid of the disease that was killing him. He said, money can't buy life. And I, I would think that all of us to some degree should take note of that statement by Bob Marley. Money can't buy life. And whenever we start thinking it does, or whenever we start thinking we'd have a better life with more money, we need to understand that that's not the essence. We need to shift our focus. I mean, God wants us to have what we need. We need to have money. I get that. But when it's 
on its own, a sole focus, it is in itself empty and unfulfilling, just like Psalm instead. What's, what's the next thing we can look at? Let's look at long life, long life. Ecclesiastes 6.16, it says, he might live, talking about uh, a person, just a person in general, he might live a thousand years twice over, but still not find contentment. And since he must die like everyone else, well, what's the use? In other words, what Solomon's saying is he's looking at his life toward the end of his life and he's thinking, even if I could live another thousand years or 2,000 years, which is a long time, it still wouldn't be eternity. It's still, I would still die. And if, and if in all that long life I didn't find contentment, if I spent all those years chasing after things that didn't provide contentment, then what's the use? That's what he's saying. What's the point to living? Pretty, pretty somber writings. You're saying, wow, pastor, you're so encouraging this morning. I'm really built up. I mean, you just talked about someone who died in their bed, and now you're talking about what's the use, and I think I just want to go home and cry on my pillow. Now, hang on. There is hope here today, okay? There's hope for all of us. But the, the key is we need to understand what isn't the hope for us. So let me just say this. For the first time in history, high, middle, and low-income countries are likely to live to 60 years of age and beyond. I mean, all over the world. Now, you don't realize how significant this is. See, we take for granted that people are going to live to 80, 85. We watch people now uh, live well into their 90s, healthy, have all this health care. I mean, it's wonderful, right? But we don't realize that if you go back past the early 1900s and the 1800s, people died like in their 50s, even their 40s. Like they didn't, they didn't live as long as today at all because of disease, because of different sanitary conditions. They, there wasn't the technology. And so longevity, they say, is one of the greatest achievements of our modern era. The United Nations actually calls it one of the most significant social transformations of the 21st century, longevity of life. Not just for a few, but for almost everyone, right? Like you, you think of it, all the low, middle, high-income countries uh, all being able to live to age 60 and beyond. That's phenomenal. That's incredible progress. Uh, today, 901, this is a February 14th, uh, pardon me, last year, 901 million people are over the age of 60 today. 1.4 billion by 2030 and nearly 2.1 by 2050. So in other words, the population is getting older. People are living longer, which is exciting. It really is. In Canada, this is exciting. The average lifespan of Canadians has increased by more than 30 years since the early 1900s. More than 30 years. Think about that. Early 1900s till now, 30 years more life. Phenomenal. I mean, it's unbelievable. 79 years for men and 83 for women. I think it's just because women need a break from us. You know, my wife's going to need a few years to go, phew, okay, I'll see you soon in heaven. Just give me some peace now, okay? I think that's why. <laughs> 79 years for men, 83 for women. But the interesting thing is 25 of those 30 years have been because of public health measures. 25 of those 30 years. So things like improved nutrition, housing, clean drinking water, which we take for granted, um, safe delivery of babies, workplace safety, better education, higher standards of living. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I just even marvel with that, how blessed we are in our country. Did you realize that between 1981 and 2011, so just 30 years, Canada's life expectancy in that time frame increased by six years? Just, just in the last 30 years, six years, longer people live. So it's exciting. Isn't that exciting, though? I mean, I'm, I'm into life, right? I, I, don't, I don't want death. I'm into life. So we're living longer, and it's wonderful. 
But, but let me just say this. No matter how long we live, and, and by the way, centenarians, those who live to 100, they're the second fastest growing population group in Canada now. Centenarians, people living to 100. It's increasing the number. I have an aunt who's 101, right? And I know other people. I mean, look at Billy Graham, 99, almost got there. So people are living longer. But my point is this. It doesn't matter, though, in the big scheme how long we live. 100's great. 105 maybe. Wouldn't that be amazing? But in the end, when you look at eternity, it's still not long enough, is it? You know, I was thinking about a great Canadian business leader, Peter Monk. Some of you might be familiar with who this is. Um, he's the uh, founder of Barrick Gold. Barrick Gold is the largest gold company, gold mine in the world. It's a, a, a incredible, it's Canadian. He died this week, March 28th. He passed away at the age of 90. And, and everything I heard about him, I was listening to the radio and they were talking about Peter Monk and how he was such a philanthropist and a generous man and, and he had all this money and how he kept into his senior years, he kept doing things like he, he would buy a marina in Europe and he'd, he'd, he'd improve it and flip it. Like he just, he just had a knack for business. He just never completely retired. He was 90. And I was just thinking about it. In Toronto, the University of Toronto has the, the, the Monk School of Global, Affair, uh, Global Affairs. So he has a school named after him. He's just a significant man. I, I admire who he was. But I, as I thought of his life, I just thought, you know, but he, he was 90. And he had all that wisdom and he had all of that at his disposal. And he could have lived on for 10, 20. He could have lived on for another 100, 200 years and done a lot, right? He could have, but he couldn't because he's limited by time. He only has so much time. You and I only have so much time. And so it's just important we understand this. Longevity in itself is not going to be enough. I can, I can work out the most I can. I can eat the best I can. I can do all that and, and push the bounds of human existence. I could, I could be one of those that really pushes the limit. I love to do that. But in the end, I still die. I still don't have eternity on this earth, right? None of us do. And we need to understand that. We need to realize Jim Rohn, the famous motivational speaker, entrepreneur, quoted often. He said, time is more valuable than money. You can get more money, but you cannot get more time. And I like what Queen Elizabeth I said. This is her last words. She lived 1533 to 1603. So she lived about 70 years, which for her day and age was a lot. That was long life in her era. And her last words, these are her last words. All my possessions for a moment of time. Wow, just a little more time. And why do I tell you this? Because... In itself, a long life, just trying to live a long life, just trying to keep ourselves going is empty and unfulfilling. It won't be enough. It isn't enough in the end. There has to be more. What about our labor? Our labor, the work of our hands. Ecclesiastes 6, 7, and 8 says this. All people spend their lives scratching for food, but they never seem to have enough. So are wise people really better off than fools? Do poor people gain anything by being wise and knowing how to act in front of others? Now, again, you got to think about this. I, I think, you know, Solomon was probably depressed when he wrote this. I mean, this is a person looking at life just really struggling with it. And maybe you've been there too. I know I have at times. Struggling with life. What's the purpose? How does this work? So he says, people spend their lives scratching food. I like what the message trans, uh, paraphrase says. We work to feed our appetites. Meanwhile, our souls go hungry. 
And that could be so true. Now, hard work may seem fulfilling at the time, but if it's done at the expense of everything else, it's empty. I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard. I'm not saying we shouldn't have gainful employment. We need that. But if it's everything, if it becomes the sole focus, then we're losing big time. You know, I, I found a study by a, a woman named Bronnie Ware. She's an Australian nurse. She spent several years working in palliative care. She cared for patients in the last 12 weeks of their lives. And she, so what she did is she started recording their dying thoughts. She called it Inspiration and Chai in, in a blog. And then she wrote a book, and it was called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And so she, she basically interviewed all these people for, for years. And so her, her findings, I would say, are pretty conclusive. He, I'm going to give you uh, the top two. And he, here's what she said. She said that there's phenomenal clarity of vision that people gain at the end of their lives, right? Because they're looking at the end. They're not... They're considering everything from I'm going to die and then they look back and they, they consider everything they ever did. And that's a sobering moment, right? To consider your life and consider, is it, was it worth it? Did I do what I wanted to do? Did I do what I should have done? So when questioned about any regrets they would do differently, there were certain themes that kept coming up again and again. And so she recorded the top five themes. I'm going to give you the first two because the second one's the one I want to focus on but I can't just give you the second one, right? I have to give you the first one as well, right? Because you, you're going to go, what's the first one? What's the first one? So I'm going to give you the first one. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Now, this was the, common, the most common regret. And this was that people felt they had let other people determine what they would become or what they did. They listened too much to what others thought, and they were too afraid of what others thought of them and their opinions. And so they didn't step out and do the things they were called to do. They didn't, they didn't take risks. They didn't follow the dreams that were in their heart. They just, they just kind of let that go by and didn't take those choices. And when, when, they, when they look back, I think they, they re realized they should have taken more risk. Why didn't I take more risk? Why didn't I you know, do more with what I had? I, I just played it safe. I think that was part of it. And the second one, and this is the one I want to zero in on, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. This nurse said this came from every male patient that she nursed, every one of them. They missed their children's youth, their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but most were from an older generation. Many of the female patients had not been breadwinners, so they didn't have it the same as the men. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Wow. All of them. That was sobering for me. <laughs> I thought... Are you one of those, Ian? <laughs> yeah. And I'll be honest, I have missed some parts of my kids' lives because of my work, because of my focus. I know that. My kids know that. We've talked about that. There's times that I, that I was AWOL. There's times I wasn't present like I should have been in the moment. Even though I was there, I was so consumed with what I was doing that I wasn't there. You know what I mean? So this is a, this is a common struggle. I think it is a common struggle, especially for men. I do think it is but it is something we need to grab a hold of. Francis Chan, great pastor and author, you might have read his books. He's got a book called Crazy Love, which is crazy. No, it's a great book. Um, he says this, listen to this. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Wow. I shouldn't be concerned about failing. I should be concerned about succeeding in areas that really in the end, people go, who cares? Wow, that's sobering. <laughs> sobering for me too. So we can see that in itself, our labor, our work is empty and unfulfilling. Solomon tells us that wealth, long life, and labor on their own 
do not guarantee a fulfilled life. Wealth, long life, labor, these are all great things. But in themselves, if they are the only focus, they will not guarantee a fulfilled life. And he should know. He should know. So what's the conclusion of the matter? You know what happens with Solomon? It's like he weighs out everything and he, you know, he, he, and he does it in his writings so you can read him weighing out everything. And at the very end, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14, here's what he says. Here's the conclusion he says of everything. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Fear God and obey his commands. That's his bottom line. Listen, you want to have a good life? You want to be fulfilled? You want to do things that are going to make a difference? And fear God and obey his commands. Follow his ways and you will be that person. Follow his ways and his prescribed path for you. Now, how has God prepared us for us to have a fulfilled life? Well, we're going to look at that because that's the good news. I'm just giving you all kind of the bad news, okay? I'm building you up for the really good news. So you'll be all excited. You'll leave here on a high. If you're depressed right now, don't worry because in just a few minutes, you're going to go, I feel so good. I'm just telling you right now because the truth will be encouraging to you. So what God has done for us is he ensures that what remains empty is actually fulfilling. What remains empty is actually fulfilling. And what has remained empty for 2,000 years is Jesus too. And that's, folks, where fulfillment comes from. Now, why is this so significant? Well, we need to remind ourselves that he defeated death and provided the way for us to be forgiven for our sins. Every way that we've disobeyed God and fallen short of pleasing him, he provided for that forgiveness through Jesus. You know, Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. So he came as, as a baby, born of a virgin, sinless. He grew up, still didn't sin, still didn't do the wrong things, followed God's path, obeyed God. And then God said, his father said, you need to die on the cross for mankind. And he knew that. He wrestled, talked Good Friday, talked about wrestling in the garden of Gethsemane for his 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 sacrifice on the cross, he paid that price. He was falsely accused, tried, hung on a cross. But here's the good news. Because he was sinless, because he didn't deserve to die, he, death couldn't hold him. Death had no right to him because he didn't deserve to die. See, death, physical death and spiritual death is only around folks because of sin. Now, you ever think about how hard it is to say, say goodbye to people who pass away? I mean, it's hard. My her, my wife's parents are in heaven. My parents are all in heaven. It's hard. There's separation with them. It was never meant to be that way. Do you realize that? It was never meant to be that way. We were meant to be together always. Sin did that to us. Because, because man sinned and broke God's laws, death was entered in. Death came into human, humankind, and that's when people started dying. Now, they died physically, but then they also died spiritually. They no longer had connection with God. They no longer heard God. There are people throughout Calgary who are the walking dead today. You know, the series, AMC series, The Walking Dead. Well, if we could see spiritually people throughout Calgary today, there are so many walking dead. They are just wandering like zombies through life. They don't know the truth. They don't know God. 
They're not hearing the truth. Some of them are deeply depressed. Others are very happy and pleased and excited about life and don't realize the way things really are, right? They're fooled. They're deceived. Not everybody has all these depressive moments about having money and all that, right? Like people are having a good time, but it doesn't matter. It's still the same end. And so they wander through life. But God doesn't want that. He wanted, he, because he was sinless, he could take our place and he could die on that cross and pay the price. And he paid the most horrible price. You know, if you've ever studied the crucifixion and what it did to his body and how it impacted him, you'd be amazed how terrifying it would have been. No wonder in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he realized that he was going to be physically separated from God, but he was also going to, uh, or, or spiritually separated, but he was also going to go through a horrific death. Any of us would be cringing and struggling with the reality of what we were going to experience. I don't even know how you'd do that. I, w- I would, it would take incredible courage. It would take digging in deeper than ever into God to be able to do it. But he did it. And on that cross, as he was up there, God placed on him all the filth, all the sin, everything you've done wrong, everything you will do wrong. Hard for us to fathom this. And he placed it all on the point of his son. And his son bore it. Can't even fathom. All the physical pain he went through. And then the emotional pain, the spiritual pain, the separation from his father, the burden of sin. So that you don't have to have the burden of sin. See, you might be here today and you're burdened in your sins. You're burdened with the things going on in your life and the addictions you can't break and the things that continue to push you. But he doesn't want you burdened like that. He took that on himself. He carried that. And he died with that. Because he was going to pay the price of death once and for all. But the good news is, because he was sinless, the grave couldn't hold him in. Three days later, he burst out of there. So good. You know, I often talk, and I did Friday night as well, about wanting to go through, watch the video room in heaven and see. Hey, I'll tell you this much. I want to see the resurrection. I mean, I'm going in. I I hope the screen is like massive. I'm going to say, could you show me the resurrection? I'll probably sit there for quite a while and watch it over over again. Show me that again. Oh, that was so good. Way better than Star Wars. That's amazing. And, and I just think that if we can understand how powerful this is, that the, the resurrection power of God came into that body and set him free. He rose again. Bible says that we, like him, can be born again. You know, it was almost like with Jesus, honestly, when he resurrected, it was like he was born again. Seriously, he, he had died And now he's reborn again. And the truth is, you and I can have the same experience. So exciting when we think about it. And the really good news is that that a live spirit that we have, once we do that, can now commune with God in this life and the next. here's, Here's the exciting part. We're not just talking about getting fire insurance, folks, so that we don't go to hell. So that we can go to heaven. We can be forgiven of our sins. We can go to heaven. That is, that is important, honestly. I mean, I'm thrilled for that. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be with Jesus. I want to go to heaven. I want my sins forgiven. I am thrilled every day about that. But what I like for this life is that I get to live in resurrection life now in this life. And I get to enjoy his presence now. And I get to have his joy and his strength even when things are hard. Because I have him. He's with me. To me, you know, eternity starts now. I'm living in eternity right now. I'm on this earth. 
but I have resurrection power in me now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, um, well, and how do, let me just say this. How do we get this? How, how do we access this for ourselves? Well, I like the picture of the life preserver. And um, you remember with, with ships, they have the big life preserver. I think we have a picture of that, yeah. On the, on the, on the wall, and you hope it's never used, right? But, but it's for somebody who's fallen overboard, right? And is in the water bobbing along and, and is going to drown. And I, I love this picture because it just speaks of the human existence. So you and I, the human race, we are in the water, okay? God is, God has the ship, all right? His kingdom, his purposes, his presence, he's, it's the ship. But we're in the water without him. We're in the water. And so we're bobbing around in the water. The waves are bad. The world is difficult. And, and we're going to drown. But God throws us a life preserver. He, he throws it out to us and says, here. Take a hold of this. And that life preserver is Jesus. It's what he did on the cross for us. It's the sacrament. And God says, here, freely, freely, I throw this out to you. I see you drowning out there. Don't drown anymore. Grab a hold of this. Now, we have a choice. We're going to grab a hold of it with all our lives, just like the person, like if I was drowning and I can't swim, so that would be really bad. Like, they'd have to get that out there, like, fast. Like, please, like, yesterday, get that out there. But I would be grabbing that so aggressively, like seriously, I'd be, oh, oh, I'm going to die without this. I would be like holding on for my life. And that's the picture of Jesus and us. See, we need him. We need what he did. We, there's nothing good in us. You and I, our righteousness, the Bible says, the good things we do are like filthy rags. So, so nothing good in us. Nothing is going to help us be buoyant. In fact, it's like having lead in your pocket the way we live. It just pulls us down, right? Jesus is the one that keeps us up. So we, we need to grab a hold of him and say, with all my being, I hold on to you. That's the picture. But we can choose not to. You know, that, that life preserver can come out there. I can be bobbing in the water. I go, no, no, I'm going to rely on my ability. I'm going to rely on my finances. I'm going to rely on what I can do. I, I, I don't need that. That's just a crutch. Are you serious? Just a crutch? Yeah, I need that. I, I will die. You will die. You might bob around for a while, for a while out there on your own means, but eventually you'll run out of gas and you'll drown, right? It's a picture of everyone without Christ. They cannot bob in the water forever. They will die, and they need a Savior. The good news is, though, if you're here and you can hear me, you have the opportunity not only to reaffirm that, but if you've never done this, you could do that today. You could grab a hold of Jesus for yourself and say, I completely dedicate my life to you. Everything else is worthless to me compared to knowing you. You are everything. And I could spend my whole life on everything else and in the end find out it was wasted. And I don't want that. I, I'm not going to try anymore on my own. I'm going to grab a hold of the life preserver right now. That's what you can do today. That's the opportunity we all have. Romans 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's holding on to the truth of the empty tomb, right? If, if you will believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. As scriptures say, I love this part, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. I don't know about you, but I don't like feeling ashamed. You ever felt ashamed of something? Terrible, isn't it? It makes you want to hide. It makes you not want to admit things. I, I feel so ashamed. You know what the truth is? When Jesus 
when, you, when we receive him, he takes the shame out of our lives. And if we put our trust in him, we never have to be ashamed. And on that day when we give an account for our life and we stand before God, and the Bible says we all will, we will all stand before God and give an account, both believer and unbeliever. So even as believers, we will stand and give account to God for our lives. But, but the good news is, as a believer, when we stand and give account, we don't have to be ashamed. Why? Because when God sees us, he sees Jesus. He sees the life preserver. He sees us holding on, and he sees Jesus first. And he goes, I accept you. I love you because I love my son, and I accept his sacrifice. And so you are welcome. You are welcome into my presence. Such a powerful truth. Now, to cap it all off, this belief in the resurrection, like I said before, belongs in our life here and now. Look at Ephesians 1. Someone in the prayer room was mentioning it today. This is Paul. And Paul, the great leader of the New Testament, said this. His, one of his biggest prayers for all of us is that we would understand the power of the resurrection. I don't think we do. I don't think I do. But he, his big prayer was... You, you need to get this, church. You need to understand this. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you would know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now look at this. That power, what power? The power that's for each of us is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. Have you ever thought of that? Here's what it literally is saying. You know that same power? Remember I said it would be amazing to see, you know, in the big video room in heaven, how the resurrection, trans you know, the explosion of power and all that? This scripture is telling us that that same explosive power that raised Jesus, that gave him life, that impacted the world, is the same power that lives in you and I if we are Christ followers. Yeah, you. Yeah, me. That power is in you. Now, sometimes we don't realize that. We don't walk in it. But God says, there's more for you. This isn't some weak, anemic existence. God says, I want to give you life and, live it and give it to the full. I, I have a greater life for you. That same life-giving power surge is meant to be ours. Frees us from addictions. Gives us joy and peace and true meaning. I want to finish with one last story and a good one, okay? We've gone through the sad ones. Here's a good one. If any of you are Canadian... Like, seriously, the story I'm going to give applies to just being Canadian would remember Paul Henderson, right? Paul Henderson. Paul Henderson will be forever recognized. I think there's a picture there. Um, if we can go back to the one before it. Yeah. Now, this is a grainy newspaper. This is the picture in the newspaper the day after Paul Henderson scored. Paul Henderson will be forever recognized for his goal with 34 seconds left in the eighth game of the 72 Summit Series with the Soviets. Eight, eight games, and the Canadians, it, was, it looked like it was going to end up a tied series. I'm not sure how that all worked out. I think they had one tie in there. And, and so it looked like the whole series was going to be tied. Of course, Canadians didn't want to tie the Soviets. They wanted to win, right? We were expected to win, but it was surprising how good they were. And so it came down, think about it, 34 seconds, and Paul Henderson scored the winning goal. They call that Canadian team the team of the century. And they called Paul's goal the goal of the century. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine being the person who scored the goal of the century? I wish that was me. 
maybe in my dreams, right? I could be the guy. But the goal of the century, so Paul Henderson, think if anybody has it, it would be Paul Henderson. Wow, comes home a hero. Everybody knows his name to this day. Paul Henderson scored with 34 seconds left. Amazing. And yet Paul Henderson said this. Back then, I had fulfilled most of my boyhood dreams, and I knew I was very fortunate. Yet there was a restlessness, a discontentment in the center of my being that I could not ignore. I was angry, bitter, frustrated, things about my life I didn't know how to handle. Here I was playing in the NHL, doing something that I had always strived for, but I had become more bitter and angry than I had ever been in my life. This is Paul Henderson. He's the goal of the century guy. Come on, Paul. You got a lot to live for. Come on, Paul. You scored the goal. You should be happy, Paul. Paul says, I'm miserable. I'm depressed. I'm bitter. So he started drinking as a way to soothe the pain. He'd go out with the boys, make merry. He'd wake up the next morning, and he was still sad, empty, Paul Henderson. Then a friend encouraged him to examine the claims of Jesus. And he, he told me that I hadn't taken care of my soul and never really looked at what it was on the inside. So he started to. It took him two years. He started to read his Bible, started to look in the claims of Jesus, and then he became convinced that Jesus did love him. Jesus did have a plan for his life. But he struggled. He struggled to become a Christian. He struggled because he'd always prided himself in being a self-made man. I'm Paul Henderson, goal of the century, right? I can do this. But then he realized, no, I can't do this. And he also struggled with what people would think. He's Paul Henderson. Now he's got to tell people, I'm a Christian. They might laugh at him. They might mock him. So he struggled with that. I don't want to tell people, yet I know I have to tell people. He wrestled through everything we would wrestle through. Finally, he decided that he was going to follow Jesus. He threw all his fears aside, and he said, God, I am fearful, and I don't want to tell anyone about this, but I give my life to you. And he's serving God to this day. You, You know, the exciting thing about Paul Henderson is that his goal of the century has given him an open door to talk to many people about Jesus because everybody knows who he is. And actually, he's had many interviews. I don't know if you've ever seen one where they say, Paul, I bet that's the greatest moment of your life, scoring that goal. And he goes, well, actually, it wasn't. It's when I gave my life to Jesus. And he actually said that people stopped asking him that question because <laughs> they knew what he was going to say. They wanted him to say that goal. And he was going to say, no, I was actually giving my life to Jesus. His life has never been the same since then. The Lord took away his anger and his bitterness. He says, and this is the last quote from him. He says, now the inner quietness, contentment, and peace I experience on a daily basis assures me that his promise to love and care for me is true and real. And best of all, I look forward to spending my eternity with him. You know, Paul Henderson's struggling with cancer now. He's had it for a few years. But he's one of the most triumphant people. He impresses the people he talks to because they think, oh, Paul Henderson's got cancer. And he just says, no, I'm good. (laughs) I'm okay. I know where I'm going. And until I go, I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to use my platform to tell people about Jesus. So here's what Paul Henderson found. Here's what you can find. John 10.10. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. The thief was there to steal Paul's life, take away his peace, take away his joy. But Jesus had a better life for Paul Henderson, and he has a better life for you. Here's the truth. Jesus wants you to experience that more and better life today by realizing what seems fulfilling is actually empty, and what remains empty 
is actually fulfilling. Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca.